Today's gospel lesson comes from Matthew, the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there where the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched since they had no root. They withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. That is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. This is the one who hears the, but the, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, through these words written, spoken, heard, lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I remember when I was a very young child helping my mother plant seeds in the vegetable garden. The first things that we planted each year were lettuce, carrots, and radishes. My mom would make a narrow row in the soil for each crop, and I would come along after her and carefully spread the seeds along the row. With these early crops, mom always wanted to spread as many as we could get into the row instead of spacing them out. Because lots of seeds would get washed away in spring rain, they'd get dug up and eaten by robins, or they might simply fail to germinate. She explained that if too many plants survived, we could thin them out later so that they wouldn't choke each other out, but that it would be better to wind up with too many than too few. This strategy bears some similarities and also some differences to the strategy used by the sower in the parable that we heard this morning. But before I get too far into it, I wanna talk a little bit about the context. 
The first part of this story, the parable itself, is the first in a series of seven parables that Jesus tells to the crowd that has come to see him as he's trying to sit by the seashore. In fact, so many people had come that he had to go out onto a boat to find a place to sit while the crowd was standing room only on the beach. The second part of the story where Jesus explains the parable happens later when he and the disciples are alone. It's important to keep these different audiences in mind as we move through the text. Now, it's not often that Jesus does us the favor of explaining one of his parables. So let's start by looking at what we know and then move on to the things that he doesn't explain, the parts of the parable that we don't really know as much about. First, Jesus tells us that the seed represents the word of the kingdom. In the Bible, word has a deeper meaning than literal words or language. Jesus himself is described as the word made flesh. Psalm 119 gives us just a few of the other meanings. The word is a guide, a source of light, a set of guidelines or ordinances or laws, teachings and decrees. Really, the word of the kingdom might be better described as the way of the kingdom, the countercultural last shall be first, justice-oriented way of living that Jesus lives and teaches and promises to us. Jesus also defines for us three things that threaten our ability to live out that way of the kingdom using different kinds of soil as a metaphor. The danger with this parable is that it's easy to get distracted trying to figure out what kind of soil we are and either worry about whether we're bearing enough fruit or pat ourselves on the back for being that right kind of soil. So let's scratch that interpretation altogether. We have all experienced and will experience all four types of soil in our own faith journey. So with that in mind, let's hear what Jesus explains. Unlike my mother who plants her seeds in neat rows, the sower in this parable spreads seed everywhere, not only in the garden, but also along the path and among the rocks and among the weeds. To Jesus's very rural audience, this must have sounded like laziness, foolishness, or outright insanity, possibly all of the above. I imagine the farmers in the group nodding or rolling their eyes as Jesus explains all of the things that inevitably went wrong. The first seeds to go were the ones that fell on the path. These seeds were quickly eaten up by birds, who I am sure were thrilled to find such easy pickings. At least the robins in my mother's garden had to do a little digging for their tasty morsels. Jesus tells the disciples, that these birds represent the evil one snatching away what is sown. The identity and nature of what is translated here as the evil one comes with a lot of theological baggage that I don't have time today to unpack. Suffice it to say that in this context, I understand it to be the sum total of forces in our lives that can close us off to God and God's word. Things like trauma and oppression that might make us angry at God or reject God for letting bad things happen. Depression that might make it impossible to feel hope or a sense of connection with God. 
a culture that sends much flashier messages that contradict what we hear and know about God's kingdom, and even experiences of being harmed or hurt or rejected by Christians and the church itself. These are real and tangible examples of birds that snatch the seed of God's word from the path of people's hearts. The next seed fell on rocky ground. There was enough soil for these seeds to sprout, but rocky ground isn't the best source of soil and the roots couldn't grow very deep. When the sun came out, they withered and died. Rocks weren't much of a problem in my parents' garden, but as a homeowner, I've struggled quite a bit over the years and learned quite a bit about shallow roots. We have had a very hard time growing a lawn, and last year, I finally got fed up with all the moss that was growing where grass should be, and I started to dig it up. In the process, I found several things just an inch or two below the surface of the soil, preventing the grass from rooting. Some of it was rocks, but I also found the plastic base for an umbrella, a toy car, the leg of an action figure, an entire patio worth of pavers, and various pieces of plastic bags and wrappers. No wonder my grass wouldn't grow. Obviously, with their roots blocked, plants wither and die. Jesus compares these plants to people whose faith fails when they, things get hard. Even today, being faithful to our faith can be hard. It can mean being judged or criticized for believing something supposedly irrational. As a chaplain at MIT, students tell me that they face this difficulty quite a bit as their peers challenge them on how they can believe in both God and science. Sometimes faith calls us to take unpopular stands and to push back against unjust systems when the system is pushing back hard against justice. Last month in my own town, some folks responded to a Juneteenth celebration by staging a Blue Lives Matter rally the following day. As backlash goes, it was relatively minor, but when our roots aren't deep, even a little backlash can be enough to make us shy away. People of, being people of faith can get even harder, of course. Sometimes we are called to civil disobedience even if it means being arrested. We're called to give even when we feel like we have nothing to spare and to get our hands dirty doing the work of the kingdom. Without deep soil, it's really hard to sustain the nutrients we need for these challenges. The third threat to healthy seeds was being choked out by thorns. Similar to the reason that my mom thinned her vegetable crops during particular particularly fertile years, because the seedlings growing too close together would suck up nutrients and sunlight from each other and none of them would flourish. Jesus explains that the thorns that choke out faith represent the cares of the world and the lure of wealth. We know a thing or two about the cares of the world as we sit here today, caught up in the dual pandemic of COVID-19 and institutionalized racism and xenophobia. 
Now, when something important happens and manages to catch the attention of the 24-hour news cycle, people rally around the cause of justice or peace or equality or love. But when that news cycle moves on, do we stay committed to doing the work to bring about meaningful change? Or do we get caught up in our own struggles to make ends meet, to homeschool our children while working from home, to patch up a relationship that's falling apart, or to keep ourselves afloat when we're drowning, to simply survive whatever challenges life is throwing at us. We really mean to stay committed to the work of the kingdom, but somehow faith can get pushed further and further down that priority list until it falls right off the bottom. Again, all of these threats are threats that we all face, experiences that we all have at some point on the journey. I don't think that Jesus' purpose here is to condemn anyone for facing such challenges, but rather to call our attention to the risk so that we can recognize and resist their influence when it comes. The invitation he offers instead is represented by the good soil, which he defines much more vaguely as being one who hears and understands the word of the kingdom and bears fruit, whether that's 30 or 60 or 100 times what was planted. This happens when things click, when faith becomes something that we're doing rather than just something that we're thinking and feeling, when it starts to make a difference in the world around us. You might be wondering how to ensure that your soil is good and that you bear good fruit. I think the answer to that comes at least in part from the parts of the parable that Jesus doesn't explain. And there are two significant ones. Who is the sower and what is the fruit? Bearing in mind those two different contexts in which the parable and its explanation occur, I think that there are two answers to each of these questions. In the initial telling of the parable, when Jesus is with the crowds, it's clear that God is the sower. And this tells us something important about God. In particular, it tells us something important about grace. While any farmer would say that this method of sowing seeds by throwing them everywhere, regardless of how likely they are to grow, is foolish or careless, Grace throws seeds everywhere on the off chance that it might be fruitful anyway. Grace tries again and again, giving us new chances to grow. In this scenario, we are the seed that God hopes will bear fruit. And there are as many ways to bear fruit as there are people. Fruitfulness means living our faith in a way that changes us, and through us, the people and world around us. Maybe that's showing kindness or hospitality to strangers. Maybe it's feeding the hungry and clothing the homeless. Maybe it's calling our senators and representatives about matters of conscience, like the new ICE policy that would bar international students from the country if their schools prioritize public health and use online learning. It might mean going to protests and marches to pray with our feet, in the words of civil rights activist Rabbi Abraham Heschel. Maybe it's helping our neighbor or calling someone that we know is having a hard time. Fruit comes in many shapes and sizes. 
And there's another thing that fruit looks like. And that's what plays out in our second scenario. I don't think that Jesus was explaining this parable to the disciples just so they could feel good about being the fertile soil. I have a feeling that there is a deeper message in it for them. I think Jesus was preparing them to become seed spreaders themselves. In just a few years' time, they would need to sow the seed in order for the good news of God's kingdom to spread. So would the Christians who came after them all the way down to us today. In fact, one of the defining features of fruit is that it contains seeds. Hence that endless debate about whether tomatoes are vegetables or fruit. The mere existence of fruit guarantees that seeds will be spread. When we bear the kind of fruit that I was just talking about, we are already turning into seed spreaders ourselves. In his explanation of the parable, I believe Jesus is preparing his disciples to sow seed in a way that is, that is faithful to the extravagant grace of the original sower, reminding them and us to spread seed with abandon, wildly, whether we think it'll grow or not, and without any particular mind to the result. We might never see the fruits of our labor, the impact that we have and how it carries forward in other people's lives. But somewhere out there, seeds that you will have planted will yield 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, more fruit than we can even imagine. So what are you going to grow in your garden? Amen. Will you pray with me? God, though faith can be hard and there are challenges to flourishing, we know that you spread your grace upon us. Help us to grow with deep roots and to spread our fruit and to spread seed, just as you have, wildly with abandon. Amen. Please join me in our theme hymn, As a Fire is Meant for Burning, which is 2237 in The Faith We Sing, and you can find it in uh, the hymns that are at the bottom of the live stream or in your email.